You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Again, it is the Throwback League, and I'm your host, Josh Lewis. This is a 48-team tournament celebrating baseball nostalgia. Players you haven't thought about in a long time. We reanimate them for you as we play a game each week for 48 weeks involving the 32 World Series champions from the mid-70s to the mid-00s. We'll have an at-large field here of 16 pennant winners to round out the field. We simulate the games on the whatifsports.com algorithm. Our website is live, so you can track the progress of the brackets. We are thethrowbackleague.com. And here we are in round two. The one through four seeds all got a first round bye. So this is the first time we're talking about the 1977 New York Yankees. World Series winners at home at the original Yankee Stadium. They're the two seed hosting the seven seed from this corner of the bracket. The 1980 World Series champion Phillies are here with Steve Carlton on the mound against Louisiana Lightning. Ron Guidry, an epic battle of lefties on a warm and pleasant night here in the Bronx, which in 1977, according to Howard Cosell, was burning. Much as we all love this iconic Yankee theme song, which tells us everyone knows they play to win because they're from New York. I mean, if you're from, say, Ogden, Utah, you apparently play to lose. But be that as it may, let's table the home team, let's get to the road team. The Phillies had never won a World Series title, but... Late at night, October 12, 1980, manager Dallas Green took this phone call in his office at the vet. The President of the United States. Uh, my name is Dallas Green. Well, thank you, Mr. President. I tell you, we're, we're thrilled here in Philadelphia. It, uh, we waited an awful long time for this moment, and, and uh, a lot of people said this baseball team couldn't do it, but I think we proved otherwise. I think we proved we're the best in 1980. Always love playing that back. The team that wouldn't die, led by the man Tug McGraw called the maestro, Dallas Green, was the first-year manager, and his team was supposed to be too old to really do that much. The youngest member of the starting World Series lineup was 29. That was Manny Trio, the Wheeze Kids, as opposed to the Wiz Kids. But there they were, squeezing past the Astros in a scintillating best-of-five NLCS for the five games, one extra innings. The World Series matched him up with Kansas City, the first of... Uh, Four World Series played entirely on artificial turf. This was also the first World Series since 1920, in which neither team had ever won a World Series before. And the Phillies, with the World Series win in 1980, they became the last team out of the original 16 Major League teams to get that done. The Phillies seemed to have it all. They had the National League MVP, Mike Schmidt. They had Steve Carlton, who won the Cy Young. 
veteran club we mentioned. They finished between first and third in basically every offensive category. 39-year-old P. Rose led the team in hits and doubles. You had the speedy center fielder Gary Maddox. You had Lonnie Smith contributing. He had 68 steals. Pitching staff was decent enough. Uh, Carlton and Dick Ruthven. He had the ever-enthusiastic screwballer Tug McGraw in the bullpen. And 1980s World Series, a four games to two Philly win. The three wins in Philly, taking 301, 301, and three hours on the dot. Willie Wilson striking out to end it was appropriate because he struck out a staggering 12 times in those six games somehow. The series was actually tied 2-2 when the pivotal game five was played in the sun and shadows on a late afternoon across the parking lot from Arrowhead where the Chiefs were not playing. Thankfully, they were on the road beating the Broncos with Steve Fuller at quarterback. Schmidt, homer to center, put the Phillies up 2-0 in the bottom of the fifth. UL Washington singled. Willie Wilson had a grounder between short and third, went for an infield single. Sack bunt from uh, Frank White nearly went for a hit. George Brett, RBI ground out. Anyway, the Phillies' lead was down to 2-1. to one. Willie Mays, Aikens walked. Hal McCray flew out to the base of the right field foul pole to strand Willie Wilson at third. That was a big deal. In the Kansas City sixth, Amos Otis tied it with a leadoff home run. He had uh, singles from Hurdle and Porter, put runners at the corners, nobody out. Marty Bystrom out, Ron Reed in, sack fly allowed. But you had, uh, after a, a double by Willie Wilson to right, Daryl Porter was thrown out at home by Manny Trio's relay. And uh, big stretch of the game right there because on at the top of the ninth, Mike Schmidt led off with an infield single off the drawn-in third baseman, George Brett's glove. Del Lunser pinch hit, drove him home from first with a double, bounced over Aiken's glove into the right field corner. A bunt by Keith Moreland moved Unser along. Maddox with a ground ball to third for the second out, but on 0-2, Trio drove in the go-ahead run with a line shot that ricocheted off Dan Quisenberry, was almost thrown out by George Brett, but didn't get the call. In the bottom of the ninth, Frank White led off with a walk. George Brett caught looking of all things. Aikens walked, was lifted for a pinch runner. That was Onyx Concepcion. McCray hits a fly ball well down the line, just foul, then grounds out into a fielder's choice. Amos Otis walks, loads the bases, but then Tug McGraw strikes out Jose Cardinal with an inside fastball, ends the game, makes it three games to two, Philly heading back east. And I, to me, that is the pivotal game in the 1980 World Series. Game six, Steve Carlton was in a groove. Uh, Schmidt had a two-run single early. Phillies went up 4-1. to one. Even though the Royals kept threatening, even loading the bases a few times, they had him loaded with one out in the ninth, in fact. But Frank White fouled out on the first pitch. That was bobbled by Bob Boone, caught by Pete Rose in front of the Phillies' dugout. Wilson then with that strikeout, the Tugger celebrated, and in fact, so did all of Philly. 1980, it turns out, all four of Philly's major pro teams played for a championship. Only the Phillies actually won it, though. The Sixers lost to the Lakers. Eight days later, the Flyers lost to the Islanders. The Eagles would lose to the Raiders in Super Bowl 15. But anyway, there's a, a lot to, to like in Philadelphia in 1980. Across the country, well, uh, some other things were going a little crazy. John Lennon was shot, announced to the world by Howard Cosell during Monday Night Football. Mount St. Helens erupted. Yikes. But uh, MTV was launched that summer with the Buggles batting leadoff, video killing the radio star and, and whatnot. The Rubik's Cube debuted. CNN came out. And uh, Ronald Reagan was elected president. 
the hostages were released, the U.S. beat Russia, then Finland, then hockey at the Lake Placid Winter Olympics. Nine to five and Coal Miner's Daughter with the big summer movies. The cars were hot on the radio. By the way, let's remember that band's debut album had as its first three songs in order. Good Times Roll, Best Friends Girl, and Just What I Needed. That is the equivalent of a lineup starting with uh, Maddox, Rose, and Schmidt. Speaking of which, here is your starting lineup for the 1980 Philadelphia Phillies. It is Maddox leading off. He's in center. Pete Rose playing first in this one. Mike Schmidt at third. Bake McBride is in right. Lonnie Smith will DH in this one. Greg Luzinski's in left, the bull. Manny Trio at second. Bob Boone, the catcher. And Larry Boa is the Philly shortstop. On the mound for Philly, number 32, Steve Carlton. The man simply known as Lefty. He's got that sinister slider. Became the all-time leader in strikeouts by a lefty this year. 35 years old now, got his third career Cy Young Award this year. And the other Philly starters were not bad. Uh, Marty Bystrom had those five great September starts up from Oklahoma City, won them all. But we mentioned they had Ruthven, they had Bob Walk, Randy Lurch, Larry Christensen, Nino Espinosa. Carlton, obviously the lead dog, the Cy Young Award winner. He is up against the favored 1977 World Series champion, New York Yankees. Do you remember them? Remember their great announced team? Hall of Famer John Miller does. Phil Rizzuto was the guy, the, the big name on the broadcast, and he was so much fun. But uh, Bill White, I think, is underappreciated as a broadcaster. First African-American play-by-play man, which is not a proud statement for Major League Baseball, but in Major League history, he was the first ever to be there. And I think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame for his work because he was an excellent broadcaster. That year, he was the guy a couple of years later who was on the mic for the Yankees when Bucky Dent hit the uh, the famous home run against the Red Sox to help the, uh, the Yanks win the pennant that year. Um, and, and Frank Messer, the, uh, who was the old reliable, the veteran broadcaster, uh, who had the humility to to sort of step aside for those guys. And uh, he gave you the play-by-play, he gave you the game, and then let them do their thing. Thanks, John. And as for the team, those guys described, the Yankees hadn't won a World Series since 1962. The Reds had destroyed them the year before, so could they take it to the next level? Billy Martin, a great tactician in the dugout. Reggie Jackson was imported. Don Gullett, stolen from Cincinnati. Guidry and Ed Figueroa, 16 wins apiece. Sparky Lyle, Cy Young Award winner out of the bullpen. First time an AL reliever had ever won a Cy Young. Greg Nettles, 37 home runs. So much went so well. The ALCS always seemed to be against the Royals. And this was a three games to two dogfight. The 100-win Yankees against the 102-win Royals. So the Royals are kind of the common denominator here when you think about it between the 80 Phillies and the 77 Yanks. And again, we'll go game five for you here, this time in the ALCS. Royals were up 3-2, mounted a threat in their half of the eighth. Mike Torres walking Otis and Pete LeCock with a couple outs. But there's Lyle coming on, striking out Cookie Rojas, who was playing in what would be his last major league game, by the way. Soon after, Dennis Leonard gave up the goods. The Yankees rallied for the lead, and the Royals lost when Freddie Patek banged into a double play to end it. And as the Yankees celebrated... Fred Potak uh, sat in the dugout, quite dejected for several minutes. It was his 33rd birthday that day, by the way. And Tony Kubek, commenting for NBC, summed it up. He said, the Yankees just know how to win. That is very true. On to the World Series. Game one against the hated Dodgers. Don Sutton against Don Gullett. 
Yankees led 3-2 into the ninth. Lee Lacy singled in a runoff. Lyle tied it up. But bottom of the 12th, Paul Blair wearing number two, winning it by singling in Willie Randolph. Randolph with three of the Yankee runs scored in that game. And hmm, where have we heard of a guy wearing number two for the Yankees coming up big in the clutch? Game two was Catfish Hunter getting boxed around. The Dodgers tied it up heading out to L.A. Game three, the Yankees scored three in the top of the first. They took command, but then Dusty Baker hit a hanging slider to tie it up. Mike Therese settled in. He went all the way for the victory. Game four was Guidry. Another complete game against a good right-handed hitting lineup. Third straight complete game with a uh, double and a home run from Reggie Jackson in support. Game five, also in L.A., a chance to close it out, but Sutton with the complete game in this one. And despite another home run from Reggie, it all set up game six in New York. And Ed Figueroa was supposed to have started, but he had a bad finger. And Therese stepped up on short rest. Yankees were down 3-2 when Reggie went to work. He jerked one into the right field stands. That made it two home runs in his last two swings. Next time up against Elias Sosa, first swing home run. And then with the fans chanting his name and the scoreboard showing it too. R-E-G-G-I-E, exclamation point. Another first swing home run to seal the series and the new nickname of Mr. October. And another complete game for Torres, by the way. And that, that ended up as just a footnote. Little 77 pop culture, lest you forget. Star Wars opened up in cinemas. First Apple computers went on sale. Roots, the miniseries, aired on TV. Elvis died at the age of 42. Uh, perhaps the most important thing in pop culture, punk music really came along in 1977. The Ramones, The Clash, uh, Elvis Costello, Sex Pistols, obviously. Uh, well, we'll, we'll move on. But I, I can tell you this. I watched all of the following TV shows religiously in 1977 at the tender age of eight. Happy Days, Welcome Back, Cotter, Charlie's Angels, didn't really understand it, but Charlie's Angels, Sanford and Son, Three's Company, Love Boat, all in the family. Very confusing time to be eight years old, 1977. Anyway, let's get to the 1977 Yankee lineup. They are taking the field as Eddie Layton plays at Colonnade, Oregon, here at the house that Ruth built. Leading off, center fielder Mickey Rivers will be followed by Roy White in left. Thurman Munson, the catcher. Reggie's in right. Chris Chambliss at first. Greg Nettles at third. Lou Pinella will be the DH in this one. Willie Randolph at second. And Bucky Dent, the shortstop, batting number nine. Ron Guidry will be on the mound. Called Gator by his teammates and Louisiana Lightning by the media. And actually the media known simply as the press in 1977. Ron Guidry, only 5'10", overlooked his whole life, really. The Cajun who grew up in New Iberia, Louisiana, where they make the Tabasco sauce. All about hunting and fishing back home, but in New York, all about a tremendous fastball and a developing slider that Sparky Lyle will help him perfect next year, a season in which he'll win a Cy Young Award, winning 25 games. And let's not forget here, Yankee fans, Ron Guidry was nearly sent to the Orioles as part of a trade deadline deal in 76, but the Yankees didn't want to give up any more left-hand pitching. Uh, you had Scott McGregor, Tippy Martinez, and Rudy May already moving along. So, um, no, they said no to, to Ron Guidry. And in 77, Guidry was supposed to have been dealt to Toronto for Bill Singer. That was actually rejected and vetoed by the Blue Jays. Anyway, Guidry began the season as a reliever here in 77, was moved into the starting rotation, Finished with 16 wins, and right now, he is ready to face the right-handed leadoff man for Philadelphia, 
Gary Maddox in the box. 259 hitter. He's got 11 home runs, 73 runs batted in. The Secretary of Defense, they call him. And the pitch to the former San Francisco Giant is high. It's ball one. And for a leadoff man, this is not a guy who walks very much. This year, how about 18 times in 583 trips to the plate? Gidry to the windup. There's a strike on the inside corner. It's one and one. Yankee Stadium, just 314 down the right field line. It's 318 to the left field foul pole. But man, there's just so much room in left center. Death Valley, they call it. 399 to that faded blue wall out there. Maddox, the kind of guy who'd be perfect for this outfield configuration if he played here every day. And he takes a fastball outside. It's two and one. Checking the Yankee defense, Mickey Rivers in center, flanked by Roy White in left, Reggie Jackson in right field. Mentioned Munson's doing the catching. Chris Chambliss at first. Up the middle, Randolph in Dent at second and short. Greg Nettles off the line in a bit at third. Now the next delivery coming. Swing, and that's whacked into the alley in left center. Roy White won't get it. It bounces by him. He'll go pick it up on the warning track. And speeding into second base, standing up with an easy double is Gary Maddox. Well, we were just talking about Death Valley, and that ball was headed to the base of that wall in left center. Nice opportunity for Pete Rose now. Hit 282 at the age of 39 in this 1980 season. Across town, oh, they hate Peter Edward Rose and those long, thick sideburns. Go back to 1973 in the NLCS. Bud Harrelson and Pete Rose got tangled up at second base at Shea, and what a brawl that was. 185 hits for Rose this year, only one of which was a home run. Only Philly to play every game. Again, 39 years old in doing that. The pitch is low for ball one. Rose batting right-handed. Last Phillies batting champion, you got to go back to 1958. Richie Ashburn got that done. He hit 350 to hold off Willie Mays. Willie went three for five the season's final day, but needed a five for five to pass him. Richie Ashburn was 25 for his last 48 that year. Pitch to Rose is in for a strike. It's one and one. Pete Rose can get that hot too. Remember, he had the 44 game hitting streak. That was in 1978. Next delivery to him is fouled upstairs. And a fan in a white t-shirt with blue iron-on lettering makes that catch on the fly. Pete Rose led his career with so many major league records. Most career at bats, most hits, of course, 4,256 of those. But also the most career outs, 10,328 of those bad boys. Maddox the lead from second. Gidry gives him a quick look. And now the pitch. That's lined in the center. That's a base hit. Here comes Maddox around third. He's going to score. Mickey Rivers just tosses it back in. RBI single for Pete Rose. It's one to nothing for the 80 Phillies. And Pete Rose clapping his hands, standing at first base. Chats it up with Phillies first base coach Ruben Amaro. Lee Elia, by the way, in the coaching box at third. And speaking of third base, here is Mike Schmidt. Wearing number 20, 12-time All-Star. 
with those bright white batting gloves, red, white, and blue wristbands. 48 home runs this year for his fourth home run title in seven seasons. And he takes outside from Guidry. It's 1-0. Schmidt at 286 hitter this year, 121 runs batted in. He's got that unusual closed-up batting stance, turns his back somewhat towards the pitcher, kind of rocks his rear end back and forth waiting for the pitch. And this one is dumped in the dirt, 2-0, the slider. I remember after the 1980 World Series, Mike Schmidt and a bunch of his teammates went on Family Feud. He and Larry Boa, Gary Maddox, Dick Ruth, and Del Unser taking on five members of the Royals. That one, the Royals won. As a pitch sails outside, three balls, no strikes. Phillies ahead, one nothing. Mike Schmidt's best season actually may have been next season, 1981. The strike shortened 1981. He had 31 home runs. That was seven more than anybody else in the league. Led the league in runs scored, runs batted in, total bases. He had his personal high in batting average. And won his second straight MVP, this time with 96% of the vote. Gidry, a brief look at Rose off of first. And now the pitch. That's outside, ball four. So you've got two on, nobody out, a run already in. And up comes Bake McBride. Left-hand batter hit 309 this past year. Nine home runs, 87 runs batted in. Stole 13 bases, too. First pitch to him, that is high for a ball. It's 1-0, two men on here. And the former St. Louis Cardinal, future Cleveland Indian, Bake McBride, rookie of the year for the Cardinals in 74. AL MVP that year was a Rangers Mike Hargrove ahead of Bucky Dent, then of the White Sox, and a Royals third baseman by the name of Brett, who finished a distant third. Greg Gross, now of these Phillies, finished second in the National League behind Bake McBride. Next pitch is fouled upstairs. We mentioned Greg Gross. He and the rest of that bench for Philly. Boy, guys like Luis Aguayo. Del Unser, we mentioned. Big part of the Phillies' magic in 1980. Remember, they only won the NL East by a game over the Expos. Phillies clinching when Mike Schmidt hit a two-run homer in the top of the 11th, a game in which the Phillies made five errors, but they locked it all up at Olympic Stadium up in Canada when Tug McGraw struck out Larry Parrish. And forgotten in that game was Bob Boone. Had a two-out RBI single to tie it in the ninth. He was batting in the 190s range the time of that swing. Pitch coming. A swing by McBride. Bouncing ball towards short. Bucky Dent over to Willie Randolph for one. On to first. Not in time. So they just get the one out. It's first and third now. And a chance for Lonnie Smith to do some damage. And he has done damage here in 1980. 339 hitter and around 300 at bats. Also stole 33 bases to lead the team. So Ron Guidry in a tough spot here. Tough right-hand batter up there. First and third, just one out. You know, if it hadn't been for Ron Guidry's wife, Bonnie, baseball fans would have missed some pretty good stuff because after his one relief appearance for the Yankees, May 20th of 1976, 
Ron Guidry was left idling in the Yankee bullpen for 47 games in a row. Finally got exiled back to Syracuse at that point. And he was so frustrated, upset that he never got to pitch, was being sent down. He packed up his car. He was heading home to Louisiana with Bonnie. And on the drive down, Bonnie turns to Ron and says, are you sure you want to give up on everything you've been working towards here? You've never quit on anything. Don't quit on your own. Let the Yankees tell you that you're no good before you quit. Here's a strike to Lonnie Smith. It's nothing in one. Now, Guidry, the very next year, after 77 here, going to be the unanimous choice for the Cy Young Award. And he heaped praise on Sparky Lyle, this year's Cy Young Award winner, for teaching him how to throw that slider. And it's funny, Ron Guidry's ride with the Yankees carried through 1989. He clashed with the new manager, Dallas Green, who, of course, is in charge of these 1980 Phillies. Guidry got sent down to AAA, and at that point, it was decided it's time to move on and maybe do something else at that point. Runners away from first and third. And now the pitch. Swinging a high fly ball, shallow left field. That's not going to get the runner home. Roy White is in, in, in. He makes the catch. Lonnie Smith pops out to shallow left. So it's two out now. And we'll see what Greg Luzinski can do. Just a 228 batter this year, but 19 home runs. And Luzinski on the all-time list of guys who wears glasses but still scares the heck out of you. Reggie Jackson on the other side certainly has that going for him for the Yankees. But from Daryl Porter to Dick Allen, Chris Sabo to Brian Downing, a pair of glasses doesn't mean you can't hit for power. Pitch here is fouled right at the plate, nothing in one. We'll flash forward a little bit. You know, in August of 84, there's going to be a tie-in between Guidry and Luzinski. That was Guidry's immaculate inning. Nine pitches in the ninth inning and a 7-0 win over the White Sox. Carlton Fisk, the Wimperoo, Tom Pachorek, and Luzinski were the three White Sox batters who were retired on nine pitches. Pitch here roars in for a strike. Fastball at the knees, nothing in two. The 91 win, 1980 Phillies leading one to nothing. Manny Trio out on deck to be followed by Boone and Boa. Guidry's got the sign. Munson setting up shop near the outside corner. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss down he goes. Luzinski strikes out and the Phillies settle for one run. They strand two. The 1980 Phillies have the lead one nothing. Let's keep it here in 1980 for now. Ladies and gentlemen, crazy Eddie forgot. Holy cow, I forgot. That's right. With all the excitement and hustle and bustle of opening up his new store in Manhattan and his famous Christmas Day sale in the summer, crazy Eddie forgot his Labor Day sale. So here it is, going on right now at all three crazy Eddie locations in Manhattan, in Brooklyn, in Syosset. Crazy Eddie's Labor Day sale, featuring the lowest possible prices on all stereo equipment, including the big name brands like Sony, Panasonic, JBL, Marantz, just to name a few. Color TVs, radios, anything and everything. Before you buy, you owe it to yourself to see Crazy Eddie and find out just how much money you can save, because Crazy Eddie is going to save you more money than anybody else. Crazy Eddie's Labor Day sale going on now at all three super money-saving locations. As for something you can get into right now here in 2020, may we suggest you try out our good friends at Coffee Bean 
and tea leaf. The best, most perfectly blended coffee on either coast of the great USA. Yep, check out their Brooklyn location next time you're in New York. Since 1963, the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf has been bringing you the finest coffees and teas from all around the world. We absolutely appreciate their willingness to be a part of the Throwback League in the year 2020. Now, as we look at the 1977 Yankees about to bat, Steve Carlton is on the mound. And in the pantheon of nasty pitches in Phillies history, the Carlton slider has got to be up at the top of the list. Halliday's cutter comes later, Lidge's slider, Hamels' changeup. Cliff Lee's knuckle curve, but the one pitch from one guy that just gets it done every single time is the Steve Carlton slider. And he can go all day long if you need him to. Game two of the World Series in 1980 followed a 304-inning uh, regular season. Our man Tyler Kepner will drop by in a little bit, New York Times writer, big-time Phillies fan growing up. He points out that of the 50 seasons of 300 innings pitched in the division play era, Carlton's the only one on the list who followed up with two World Series wins in October. In that World Series game two, he threw 159 pitches. Mickey Rivers will dig in first. Left-hand batter taking down the heart of the plate, strike one. 326 batter this year. Mick the Quick, they call him. And what a fun quote he can be. He said, me and George and Billy were two of a kind. <laughs> and, and that we'll, we'll do all right if we can capitalize on our mistakes. Pitch to him's outside now. It's one and one. Mickey Rivers, like Steve Carlton, a Miami native. Phillies in those powder blues with the burgundy trim. Yankees in those beautiful home pinstripes. Pitch comes to Rivers. Swing a little roller towards second base. Manny Trio a little bit to his right. Picks it up and flips to first. One away. Roy White coming up next. Pete Rose playing first base, by the way. Mentioned Trio at second. It's Boa at short. Schmidt at third. So now White, the switch hitter. 268 batter this year. 14 home runs. Led the league in runs scored last year. That's the year the Yankees got smacked down by the Big Red Machine in the World Series. But this year and next year, World Series rings for the L.A. native Roy White, who takes high from Carlton. It's 1-0. Ten-time All-Star Steve Carlton won the pitching triple crown in 72, led the league in wins four times and strikeouts five times. He's a two-time World Series winner, but with two different teams in two different decades. 1967 Cardinals and these 1980 Phillies. Pitch to White. That's twisted foul up the first baseline. One and one. Carlton traded from St. Louis after a salary dispute just before the 72 season began. Rick Wise, famously the other guy in that trade, is considered to be an incredibly lopsided deal. But, you know, Carlton had won 77 games at the time of that trade. Rick Wise, 75. From that point on, it was 252 to 113 for Carlton with about 2,000 more strikeouts. Nobody on, one man out. Here's the kick in the pitch. Ground ball towards short. Booted by Larry Boa. He scrambles, he picks it up. He has no play at first. Larry Boa, usually a very sure-handed shortstop. 
That ball might have clipped the very edge of the dirt and the grass right there. It took a very unfriendly hop. And a kick by Boa makes it one-on-one -on -one out, brings up Thurman Munson. 308 hitter, 18 homers, 100 runs batted in right on the dot. Five triples, five steals for this catcher at the age of 30. And he takes from Carlton to strike one at the knees. There's a Yankee tie-in with Carlton, moving ahead to 89, the same year Ron Guidry retired. In February that year, Steve Carlton was a free agent. The Yankees offered him the use of their facilities for training purposes. They didn't guarantee him a, a spot in spring training. And even with Dallas Green coming in as manager, Carlton did not get the contract, and he retired at the age of 44. Pitch to Munson is fouled at the plate. It's nothing in two. Pretty big swing right there from Munson. Carlton could do that, too. He was an accomplished hitter for a pitcher. 201 career hitter, 13 home runs, including a three-run shot and his only win as a San Francisco Giant. People forget he was a Giant and also a Cleveland Indian. In fact, it was as an Indian, Steve Carlton had his only pitching appearance at Yankee Stadium. He was also selected to the All-Star Game in 1977, National League side. That was held here at Yankee Stadium, but Carlton never got in the game. He's in this game at Yankee Stadium, facing the powerful Thurman Munson. He's a Cleveland area native who starred at Kent State back in Ohio. Good lead for Roy White. He's running. The pitch coming in. Called third strike to throw down is not in time. Roy White steals second base. Two out in the inning, though. Throw was just a little bit towards the shortstop side from Bob Boone. And now do you pitch a little differently with first base open with Reggie Jackson coming up. Whoa, Hall of Fame lefty versus Hall of Fame lefty here. 24 all-star appearances between Carlton and Jackson. Both guys top five all-time in strikeouts. One for and one against. And Reggie Jackson actually from the Philly area originally. Grew up north of the city. Cheltenham High School. He was a stud pitcher himself in high school. Throwing several no-hitters, but... Off Reggie went to Arizona State on a football scholarship. First pitch from Carlton poured in for a strike. It's nothing in one. With the 80 Phillies on top, one nothing. Runner at second. And two men out. This is the year, 1977. There was a first year for Reggie in New York. Five-year contract. Wanted to wear nine, but Greg Nettles already wearing nine. Reggie asked for number 42 after that in memory of Jackie Robinson. That number was given to pitching coach Art Fowler, though. So he moved on, noting that Hank Aaron had just retired. So as a tribute to Hank Aaron, that is why Reggie ended up as 44 in New York. Pitch is swung on and missed. It's nothing in two. Number 44 will be retired at Yankee Stadium. Reggie with a monument eventually in Monument Park, commemorating 563 Major League home runs, 144 of which were hit as a Yankee after that one year spent as an Oriole. And Reggie still, by the way, most career strikeouts, 2,597, barely ahead of Jim Tomey, who had 2,548. Adam Dunn, Sammy Sosa, and A-Rod round out that list. Mike Schmidt currently 12th on that list. 
Here's the kick, here's the pitch. Swing and a miss. Got him with the slider. Steve Carlton strikes out Reggie Jackson and the side retired. So the 77 Yankees do not score. It's still 1-0 Phillies. Now a word from one of our sponsors. You, you're the one we're cooking for. Our bestest fresh food you'll adore. Our grade-A eggs cooked on the spot with pure pork sausage sizzling hot. It's breakfast, McDonald's breakfast. Made from the very best ingredients. We do it all for you. We start out with an English muffin, then that cheese and egg and something really good. Canadian bacon, yes, that's how we go about making breakfast. McDonald's breakfast. Made from the very best ingredients. We do it all for you. Now, when you want a morning treat, hot cakes and sausage, they taste neat. They fresh from batter, they taste better. Topped with butter, yes, indeed, it's breakfast. McDonald's breakfast. Made from the very best ingredients. We do it all for you. The 77 Yankees are trailing one to nothing. The 1980 Phillies World Series winners have the lead. Tyler Kepner, who writes for the New York Times now, he grew up in Philadelphia, big time Philadelphia Phillies fan. As we think about the nexus, the crossover between the Phillies and the Yankees, Tyler Kepner absolutely came to mind. And I asked him to weigh in with his memories about 1980 and to ignore the obvious as we go a little bit submerged here into Philly's lore. What does he recall about 1980? Well, 1980 was a, was a big year for, for that franchise because they had lost in the NLCS in 76, 77, and 78. And there was a real sense that it, the time was running out for this group. I mean, they had Hall of Famers like Mike Schmidt and Steve Carlton, um, who, of course, were great uh, and stayed there for a little while longer. But guys like uh, Bob Boone and Larry Boa and Greg Luzinski were these homegrown Phillies from all the way back to the early 70s. And within two years, they'd be gone. Um, in fact, when they made the series again in 83, there was a lot of new guys there. Um, you know, Joe Morgan and Evanda Jesus and John Denny and Al Holland. But the 80 group had been together a long time. Um, Pete Rose had been brought in 79 to kind of get them over the top. Didn't work out that year. Um, and the, the manager was Dallas Green, who really was a big change from Danny Ozark, who had who had been the manager of those teams in the 70s. Dallas really got in their face, really challenged them. Um, and they had a late-season charge uh, that really put them over the top, and they needed some unlikely contributions to, to, to get there. Uh, Marty Bystrom came up in September and went 5-0 and down the stretch with a 150 ERA, and then he was called on to start Game five against the Astros, Nolan Ryan, and then game five against the uh, the Royals in Royal Stadium against Larry Gura. They don't win unless Marty Bystrom, of all people, um, comes up big. Uh, Bob Walk, a rookie, had to start game one of that World Series because all the other pitchers were exhausted. So they had it was a very old team, but they did get some contributions from newcomers like Walk and Bystrom in the rotation and Lonnie Smith in left field. So they had just a just a dash. Just enough, Keith Moreland as well, just enough new blood in there. Um, a really hard-charging manager challenged them in Dallas Green. And, of course, the old standbys, Carlton and Schmidt and Rose and Maddox, who uh, who really put them uh, put that Boa, Boone, Luzinski group over the top. 
All right, thanks a lot, Ty. Great to, to hear from Tyler Kepner. Let's move ahead to further action here. one nothing our score into the top of the third with the 80 Phillies having the lead. They would add to that lead in the third inning. Pete Rose, an infield single. Mike Schmidt triples them in. Yeah, triples to the base of the wall in left center, 399 feet away. Bake McBride a pop out, though. Lonnie Smith a ground out. So it was left to the next batter to get something done. And wouldn't you know it, Greg Luzinski got it done. Ground ball single in a right, so a 3-0 lead at that point. And to the bottom of the fifth inning, that's when the Yankees finally were able to make a little bit of noise against Steve Carlton. Not a lot of noise, but at least they got on the scoreboard. Greg Nettles popped out. Lou Pinella, though, blooped to double. And a ground ball from Willie Randolph was able to scoot by Larry Boa. That got the run in. A recovery from there to get out of the inning for Carlton. 3-1 to one was the score as we went all the way into the seventh. And that's where the Phillies were able to tack on a little bit. They got one more in the top of the seventh inning. Larry Boa, ground ball single in the left center. Fielder's choice from Maddox after that. Pete Rose grounding one through the hole in the left for a single. Mike Schmidt popping out, but Bake McBride lining one off the third baseman's glove. He chipped it the other way. Went as an infield single. Nettles just unable to grab it cleanly. And that indeed pushed it to 4-1. to 4-1 to one the final score, as you might recall, if you're a Phillies fan, in Game 6 of that 1980 World Series. But this one is not going to end 4-1. to one. We should point out that Ron Guidry went eight innings, gave up 11 hits, four runs, but he did go eight. Dick Tidro on to pitch the ninth inning. As for the bottom of the ninth, Steve Carlton still on the mound at that point. He had thrown 100 pitches, so they left him out there. Munson leading off, he flied out to center, but then Reggie with a double off the center field wall. You had one on, one out. Chris Chambliss followed with a double to the wall in right center. Reggie scoring to make it 4-2. to two. Tying man coming up. So at that point, Dallas Green decides i got to get my closer here. i got to get Tugger. So the call to the bullpen goes out, gets into that bullpen, cart comes on in. 1.46 ERA for Tug McGraw this year to go with 20 saves. Huge second half actually got him some Cy Young Award votes. But more than anything, this is a, a fun, charismatic guy with a fun, charismatic pitch. He's a screwball who throws a screwball. And he'll do so till the age of 39, finishing up as a Philly. Ten years with them after nine years with the Mets. Eight World Series innings in 1980. Only one run allowed and ten strikeouts. He's going to be called on to face the dangerous third baseman, Greg Nettles. G-R-A-I-G. Nickname is Puff. So it's Tug against Puff with the game on the line. Runner at second, one out. 4-2 ball game now. And the first pitch a strike with that screwball. It's nothing in one. Greg Nettles, six-time All-Star. And the first of his two gold gloves cemented here in 77. A year in which he hit 37 home runs, 107 runs batted in. That was a pretty darn good third baseman Tug McGraw had to face in that 1980 World Series. George Brett was the AL MVP, and he struck out just 22 times all year. But Game 5 of the World Series, Tug McGraw struck him out twice in two at-bats. And again, I, I just think that as much as Phillies fans want to look at Game 6 and remember Game 6 of that 1980 World Series, Game 5 was the pivotal game. And Tug McGraw big in that one, too. Pitch coming. Ground ball, base hit, center field. 
quickly played back in. It's going to be first and third, one out. Oh, Greg Nettles coming through in the clutch. Huge 1977 for, Nettle, for Greg Nettles. I made so many subplots in and around New York this summer. The son of Sam, serial killer, had the devastating blackout, the looting, had the big mayoral race, eventually won by Ed Koch. So as the Bronx is burning, so to speak, here comes native Floridian Lou Pinella to the plate. First and third in a 4-2 game, just one out. Pinella, 33 years old, right-hand hitter in there instead of the lefty Carlos May, who's available off the bench. Sweet Lou hit 330 in 1977's regular season and only around 340 at-bats. And the pitch to him is up too high. It's 1-0. Uh, two guys who can certainly express themselves, Tug McGraw against Lou Pinella. Go back to 1969 when Tugger was a Met and Steve Carlton struck out the record 19 Mets in a losing effort. It was Tug who pitched the final three innings without giving up a run to get the win in that game for New York. Yeah, Carlton struck out 19 and lost because of a pair of two-run homers by Ron Swoboda. Pitch is in for a strike now. It's one and one. Of course, Tug McGraw did fine as a Met. Coined the phrase, you gotta believe, then passed that along to the Phillies in 1980. And at the victory parade, there was Tug on the mic. He said all through baseball history, Philadelphia has had to take a back seat to New York City. Well, New York City can take this world championship and stick it, because we're number one. <laughs> and here's Tug trying to stick it to New York right here. He's even in the count with Sweet Lou. Pinella. Wearing number 14, hunched over and ready. Pitch coming, swing high, fly ball left center, but that's Death Valley. Not gonna get out. Catch is made, Chris Chambliss is gonna trot home. Sack fly to make it four to three. Greg Nettles back to first. As the ball was played back in with a little lob toss from Greg Luzinski. Two out now, it is all up to Willie Randolph. 4-3 game, two down, the 22-year-old Willie Randolph. Hit 274 in the regular season, four home runs. Mentioned you've got Carlos May available, Paul Blair, Cliff Johnson all available on the bench, even the chicken, Fred Stanley. But young Willie Randolph will try to come through here with Bucky Dent on deck. 4-3 ball game. Doug McGraw with the sign being hung. He's ready. He winds, he fires. Swing, high fly ball towards third. Should be the ball game. Barely in the foul territory. There's Mike Schmidt. He makes the catch, and the ball game is over. Kind of reminds me of Carl Yastrzemski popping out. Foul ground third base side, right? That was a game against the New York Yankees in the, the 1970s. This time, it is the Yankee popping out on the first pitch towards third base. And the final, indeed, is 4-3. Four, four runs, 13 hits, two errors for the Phillies in this one. 3-6-0 for the 77 Yankees, who get eliminated as the two-seed at home. The 80 Phillies are moving on. And next week, by the way, as we move on in the throwback league, this is an interesting game for you. How about the 2002 Angels with the Thundersticks and all of that? They're home against the 1985 Kansas City Royals. So we'll get you from Mike Schmidt to George Brett. That's our intention. The throwback league continuing. 
We hope you're enjoying it. Please do subscribe if you haven't yet. We'd love to have you do that. We've got a Twitter, if you want to follow us there, at the Throwback LG, short for League. And once again, the website, which has all the box scores and the brackets, that's thethrowbackleague.com. This is Josh Lewin reminding you once again the final score from Yankee Stadium here in the Bronx. It was a 1980 Phillies 4, the 1977 Yankees 3. Bye-bye.